Hello and welcome to Views from the Market, Mid-Market Private Equity and M&A in Canada. My name is Mario Negro. I'm a partner in the Private Equity and M&A group at Stegman Elliott. For today's podcast, I'd like to welcome our special guest, my partner, Sarah Zabrowski. Sarah is the head of the Life Sciences and Healthcare Regulatory Practice here at Stegman Elliott. And uh, I'm super excited to have her join us today. Sarah, thank you for joining us. Hi, Mario, and thanks for having me. I'm delighted to be here. Sarah, you uh, practice in a super exciting area, and I don't generally like doctors, <laughs> but, I, <laughs> but I, I like talking about healthcare because there's just so many dimensions to it. And healthcare M&A uh, and uh, life sciences M&A has gone through such enormous change over the last few years and so much activity. So it's a wonderful time to have you join us. Um, but before we get into that, I always like to start by uh, having our guests tell us a little bit about themselves. So when we start first by just learning a bit about you and your practice and what you do. Sounds great. Um, so I call myself a Health Canada and healthcare regulatory lawyer. So I've created this own, my own little title, my own little niche for the practice that I have. I've been practicing for 20 plus years. I'll say that for the next little while. I'm not going to date myself. And in all that time, I've only ever practiced regulatory and healthcare law. So that means that I help companies that are regulated by Health Canada. So pharmaceutical companies, biotech, food and beverage, medical device, cannabis, pest control. And I counsel these clients on bringing products to market and then on complying with legislative and regulatory requirements in the connection with their interactions and the marketing of their products. So that's my sort of Health Canada regulatory practice. The other part of the practice um, is the healthcare side of things. And in in the context of that, I counsel uh, healthcare professionals and industry who interact with healthcare professionals on matters of non-compliance, and again, in in sort of licensing, compliance, commercial arrangements, privacy requirements, and all kinds of other ancillary matters. I focus a lot on sort of the rules and regulations around the practice of medicine, which is often referred to as the corpus practice of medicine, and on interactions with and between healthcare professionals. So those are the two buckets that I play in. I mean, it's strange to say that we're talking to a regulatory lawyer when it comes to M&A, but in this particular area, I know when I got my healthcare regulatory deals, I call you even before I called the tax person. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Thanks. Uh, it shows you that the importance that you play, and particularly in the last few years with all the activity that's going on, uh, you know, I find your experience, I think for our guests, can be fascinating because, like I said, everybody who does uh, a deal in these spaces, you know, ultimately has to deal with the regulatory components, which means they're calling you. And so in in that regard, it'd be great to get your perspective on kind of what you've seen from a healthcare and a life sciences M&A perspective over the last few years, both with COVID, since COVID, and all the activity in the last few years. Wanted to get your sense on on what you've been seeing on the healthcare front when it comes to M&A activity in Canada. For sure. So on the regulatory side, sort of in the COVID and post-COVID environment, we saw a lot of COVID-related products come to market, right? So a lot of PPE, we saw a lot of pest control products. And I think from an M&A perspective, what I found most interesting in connection with that side of the COVID-related practice, as I call it, was really almost the lack of diligence around these products. So a lot of companies wanting to purchase or, or acquire other companies who had brought products to market that they didn't realize were regulated products. Things like ozone machines to kill germs. People didn't appreciate that those are actually regulated as pest control products. 
pest control products are super highly regulated in Canada. So in the context of M&A and this sort of post-COVID environment, diligence has become increasingly important when you're looking at what seems to be a really new, cool, innovative COVID-related healthcare product. You want to make sure that that's been properly regulated by the regulator. So that's on the regulatory side. On the healthcare side, post-COVID, we've seen a lot of activity around telemedicine. So telemedicine has really come to the forefront. Um, when I say telemedicine, what I really mean is the provision of healthcare remotely, most often via an app, if not sort of by way of Zoom or Teams. So, you know, COVID really changed the way that we receive healthcare. It opened a lot of people's eyes to the possibility of seeing a doctor from the comfort of your own couch. And then with that comes a whole lot of regulation. So we've seen a lot of deals in the healthcare space, you know, either acquiring, selling, introducing new telemedicine products. You know, this corporate practice of medicine regulatory issue comes up all the time when we see mergers in the context of HCP healthcare professional practices. So we've seen a ton of deals you know, big company purchasing physiotherapy clinics or dental clinics or practices. And those have, for whatever reason, really been booming, I think, in the last at least 12 to 18 months. And they raise a, a whole host of really interesting regulatory issues that need to be definitely well thought out on a transaction by transaction basis. One of the things I've noticed, and, and that, you know, to your point, Sarah, the realm of of these HCPs, the, the realm and the scope of what it's covering. I know we've seen fertility clinics. We're starting to really see more. It's penetrating deeper and deeper into these type of services. And it's interesting because at least what I've found is that the buyers of these companies, you know, whereas I think 10 years ago would say, I can never buy those companies. The regulatory burdens were just too strong. <laughs> they were just too, yeah. too many hurdles to climb. On the other hand, now I'm noticing, and I think, partly because you've been able to help find ways to do it is that there is a way to do these deals that there are even for, you know, foreign buyers who traditionally would be kept away from these deals because you have to have, uh, you know, a doctor actually owning the company, you know, or being or running the actual practice or being the one who can only bill. But there has been some innovative ways to get around that. I get your thoughts on how people are kind of finding ways to do deals in these spaces get, you know, working through the regulatory environments. Yeah. So the regulatory environments that you're referring to are, you know, in certain provinces, only a registered healthcare professional can own a practice. And so I think traditionally people saw that as a total stopgap. Like there's no way anyone who isn't a doctor can own any part of a doctor's practice. But I think we lawyers have been getting a lot more creative alongside our clients. And so we've seen cases where the buyer isn't a registered healthcare professional. And even though the buyer is restricted from carrying on the business, i.e. the practice of medicine, we can carefully plan an acquisition structure to ensure that the business, the practice of medicine, can continue to operate by, for example, having the buyer own or lease the medical practices assets, including the physical clinical space, having the buyer employ unregulated staff like admin staff to manage and oversee administration of the practice, and then have the buyer, the non-registered healthcare professional, engage registered healthcare professionals as independent contractors to actually undertake the regulated activity, which is the practice of medicine. 
So what you have is sort of these unregulated buyers, unregulated in the sense that they're not healthcare professionals, owning and operating from an administrative perspective, a business, and really sort of carving out the regulated activity, which is the practice of medicine, and allocating that to independent contractors who are regulated. And Sarah, you know, it's interesting because, you know, traditionally, we always like to say professionals like to be in control of their own practice or control of the, you know, the whole workings. But one of the things I've noticed in these deals is that the medical professionals actually find these practices attractive because they kind of create a certain level of efficiency. They allow them exactly. to focus on being doctors, and yet they don't have to worry about, you know, hiring people, uh, firing people, and buying a photocopier. And, and, and I've been fascinated because, you know, in the old days, it was all about control. I want to control my practice. And yet it seems as almost as though these things have a certain appeal because they allow you to control literally just the practice and not worry about all the other stuff. But I want to yeah. hear your sense of, of your thoughts of why it's becoming so attractive and appealing for medical professionals to sell to these kind of large buyers of these clinics. Yeah, I think you're bang on in the sense that in large part, it's not wanting to deal with admin, right? Like there's a reason that we're members of a giant firm, not sole practitioners, right? I don't want to deal with all kinds of insurance issues and, and do all the admin stuff on my own. So I think physicians and other regulated healthcare professionals feel the same way. And then I think it's also sort of like the value that you get being part of a bigger organization. So in a lot of cases, what we're seeing are big companies, including from the U.S., moving into Canada and sort of consolidating and using, you know, tried, tested and true marketing and other sort of, you know, patient seeking strategies to build a practice that an individual healthcare professional physiotherapist doesn't have the time effort, energy, know-how to do, right? And so you get the benefit of having a big backer behind you. And you can just focus on what you enjoy doing as a professional, which is providing healthcare to patients. One of the things I wanted to just ask a little bit about, just it, it kind of relates to some of the earlier comments you said about telemedicine and the, you know, the impact of technology in the healthcare space, and, and frankly, on the M&A space in terms of making probably sectors that weren't once as attractive become all of a sudden more attractive. And I want to get a sense from you and uh, what you're seeing in terms of the impact of these continuously uh, quickly expanding technological advancements are having on interest in, in the healthcare space and the opportunities for deal flow and, you know, new opening spaces because of the changes that are being brought up. Yeah. So I think like I, we started COVID really, I would say significantly expanded the opportunities around telehealth and telemedicine. And COVID forced a lot of the provinces, a lot if not all of the provinces, to really consider, and I'm saying like the provincial regulators of medicine, to really consider and put some guidance and policy around how they will allow their members to um, practice medicine remotely. We had no choice, right? For you know various points over two years, we couldn't go see our physician. So we, if we needed medical care, we had to seek it in terms of telemedicine. Um, so that forced a lot of provincial regulators to really open up and sort of be okay with telemedicine and put some parameters around, you know, what they consider to be the appropriate use of telemedicine. So that was a huge development. And then what you have is technology companies saying, okay, well, now there's all of this healthcare being provided remotely. What about electronic medical records? What about, you know, the platform to provide the service? What about booking and appointment platforms? 
And so we've seen this influx of, of what's really basically technology coming to the forefront to kind of facilitate and assist with this new delivery mechanism for healthcare. And those two things together have created a fair bit of discussion around privacy issues in particular, how physicians and other healthcare professionals collect, use, and disclose personal information of patients, where it's appropriate for a patient to receive medicine virtually or, or healthcare virtually, how information that's given on a video chat is stored and how it may be further used. And so from a provincial perspective, we're seeing the regulators really have to kind of step up and modernize their approach to the regulation of healthcare. And then at the federal level, so Health Canada is also kind of grappling with the sort of influx of technology into the healthcare space. And one area that comes to mind for me is artificial intelligence and machine learning. So from a regulatory perspective, this represents really the overlap of science or technology and regulatory modernization in the context of medical devices, for example. So at what point does machine learning or artificial intelligence become a treatment? And how does our regulator draw the line? And how does a technology company demonstrate the safety and efficacy of their AI or machine learning application? So that's been some really sort of interesting from a regulatory geek perspective on the kind of provincial delivery of healthcare and then on the federal um, modernization of devices in particular has been really interesting over the last couple of years. In terms of where this is all going, because I mean, if we always talk about trends and the future trends on the podcast, but one of the things I'm curious from where you said in terms of where this is all going is when we look at the healthcare space and who's doing deals, uh, and particularly from a Canadian perspective, um, any trends on actually, you know, these spaces are super heavy regulatory, you know, often traditionally private equity wouldn't go there. But, you know, obviously in healthcare, particularly U.S. private equity firms are used to doing deals in the U.S. So they're used to regulatory environments in healthcare. And who are you seeing as the buyers, as the players in the M&A space in these sectors? Yeah, it's actually, that's almost the coolest thing. It's everybody. That's Everybody's getting into the game, right? The big companies who are already healthcare companies are looking to acquire smaller companies. We have startups sort of trying to build themselves up for sale. We have private equity firms looking to put their finger in the space, looking to put a toe in the water. So I think what I find so interesting is that we're seeing buyers from everywhere with all different levels of experience and all different levels of sort of familiarity with the space itself. And that's making for some really, really interesting deals and a real diversification, I think, of the industry, which is going to serve us all well. And when you look at these buyers, this marketplace, the regulatory environments, where do you see? I mean, what, if I, if I always ask the crystal ball questions. So I'm going to ask you the crystal ball question. Where do you see this <laughs> is all going? I wish I knew. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, well, I think we can say for certain there's going to be a lot of innovation and that buyers are going to be interested in that innovation. But in order for the innovation to sort of like actually come to market, our regulators going to have to keep up. Sort of on the provincial side, we need the provincial colleges of medicine to continue being open to different ways to provide healthcare because it's clear that that's what Canadians want. So I think on the healthcare side, we're going to have to start seeing some changes around privacy legislation and expectations 
and the delivery of remote healthcare. And then at the sort of federal side, when we look at new innovations and new technologies, I think our sort of Canadian healthcare, our Health Canada, our regulator is going to have to step up and be ready to sort of regulate innovations that don't fit neatly into their existing boxes. And we've seen that a little bit with the regulation of software as a medical device. And I think that's just going to continue to explode as industry develops. And as we see new buyers coming to the market to further fund and push that innovation. You know, when I hear about the consolidation or the, you know, the corporate practices and how, you know, we continue to see these kind of growing practices in veterinary services and dentistry. Now, I know you and I are seeing it in other areas too. Are there any boundaries to that in, in your perspective, Sarah? Like, can you grow too big? Will we see regulators say oh, that that's just too big? I mean, there's still early days. There's so much more to do in terms of, you know, wanting to centralize these dentistry practices or nationalize them. Do you see any any pushback uh, as these things continue to grow and get bigger and bigger? And it seems almost like they're, you know, they're just getting started. Curious your thoughts about if we're going to see regulatory pushback against some of the size and scope and breadth on of some of these practices that, that we're starting to see develop with the continual roll-up and, and M&A strategies of buyers. Yeah, I think the one from a policy perspective that could sort of be a, a barrier, a small b barrier, is around patient choice. So our provincial regulators generally expect and encourage that patients have choice. So patients have choice of pharmacy, and that's right in legislation. You can't dictate where a patient goes to get their medication from. Um, and so I think we'll start seeing some boundaries around patient choice and healthcare generally. Just I think to the extent that a regulator may try and stop some of the, the MA activity, it would be in the context of that. You know, we have to make sure there are enough options for our patient to access medication from whom and from whomever and wherever they want. So I can see that, you know, if we start getting like huge conglomerate you know, healthcare practices that are sort of eating up and there's no independence. I can see that happening, but I, I think we're still a far way away from there. Sarah, I want to say thank you. It's been fascinating. And it, for me, it's particularly fascinating when you're in a regulatory practice to literally be at the forefront of MA because of just all the changes in the space. So it was great to get your perspective and uh, thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure, Mario. Thanks for having me.